So sometimes I struggle with how to get into a message, so what the introduction should be, because you're trying to appeal or connect with all kinds of different people with different backgrounds, uh, different sets of beliefs, all that kind of thing uh, when you're thinking about that. And so as I wrestled with how to start off this message, I, I just came to the conclusion that maybe a simple question would be the best way to start. But instead of doing that, I gave that explanation. And uh, this is the question. The question is, is God enough? I mean, that's what we would all expect to answer, right? As Christians, we're like, hey, resounding yes. I mean, yes, of course he is. It's the answer that we would expect from one another. If, if you, you, know, you answer that and you're watching online, you put in the comments, yes, of course he is. God, God is enough. However, and I'm sure you expected me to, to say that, you know, there's a but coming. You know, as we peel back the layers of our lives, I suspect not too deep down, many of us recognize that sometimes that belief that God is enough is a struggle to put into practice. In particular, I think the clearest way to, for self-reflection to take place is thinking through what ands exist in our lives. And what I mean by that is that the enemy of God being enough is God and fill in the blank. And we'll all have some similar responses to what we fill in the blank with. God and a job, God and health, God and family. Well, not just family, but, you know, family, you know, the right kind of family. You know what I mean? Everything going well, perfectly. God and passing this test. Please let me pass this test that I didn't study for. God and a cup of coffee before you talk to me in the morning, right? God and country. God and money in the bank. God and the list goes on. We, we could keep going as we peel back the layers of our lives. We can think about our moods. We can think about how we think about life and how we experience the events and circumstances in them. And we only have to look toward what we're not content with to discover what our ands are. And probably the and that is most consistently there for me is God and how my life is perceived by others. And this is something that all of us have something in our lives that we have to wrestle with. That's one of mine. That's one of my big ones. That's one of the things that I constantly want to be the way that I would like for it to be. And yet, is God enough if people don't perceive my life the way that I want them to? One of the tensions that we regularly feel in our lives is that of enough. Contentment can often seem elusive, and the rhythms of our life show whether or not we believe that God is enough for us. And those things will shift as we go through different seasons of life, largely because life and its circumstances draws our attentions to the events that are happening in it. it you know, we could talk about the events of this past week. Uh, they're just yet another reminder of just how far humanity gets away from God and a godly approach to life. The more we remove him from the equation, because God isn't just part of the equation, he is the whole thing. It's how we get to, for years now, having signs that proclaim him, but actions that don't represent him. And by the way, if you're struggling with, you know, just the way things have been for 
the past year plus with politics or with how people are treating each other. I, I just want to encourage you to check out our sermon series that we did this past November called A House Undivided. Also, our small groups this past fall navigated a book called Christians in the Age of Outrage. We've got material for that that we can send you. If you didn't get a chance to, to be a part of that, send us a message. Check out the sermon series. Uh, it's to be encouraged through uh, these things that continue to happen in our world because they will continue to happen because of how we engage God in our lives. From my favorite passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 2, Paul gives this charge to followers of Jesus. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Wait. Do... It does say that. It doesn't say do some things without grumbling or arguing. Okay, I just, just check it. Does your, I don't know. If you have your Bible with you, you can check that too. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. We can laugh about that. It's okay. We can, we can poke fun at ourselves. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. For anyone for whom God isn't enough, getting past the grumbling or arguing part to the blameless and pure part is going to be impossibly hard. Thankfully, we're all in really good company together in that. But the more encouragement that we share, the more that we serve alongside of each other, uh, the more we create space for God to work in us to will and to act according to his good purposes. Last week, we kicked off the sermon series in my side yard out in the country, as some of you uh, picked up on, as we're talking about the rhythms of a disciple of Jesus by looking at the habits that form Jesus' life and how he models those for his disciples, for us as his disciples, for the unforced rhythms of grace he invites us into. And these aren't just ideas of how to approach life and, hey, if you want to have a better week, you know, this is, this is some things that you could possibly put into practice. But this is the holy habit way of life that we're expected to live as followers of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus are followers of Jesus who do what he did. And for that matter, what Jesus continues to do in our lives. And making holiness a habit takes an intentional approach to matching the rhythms of our life with his. The most significant habit of Jesus, I believe, that's easiest to overlook is the time that Jesus actually spends with God, which, if you think about it, is kind of strange because Jesus is God in the flesh. And yet Jesus, throughout his ministry, regularly takes time to go off into a solitary place to pray, to be with God, to commune with him, despite being God here in, in the flesh. He would fast. He would take time away from his ministry. He had, could have filled his schedule with plenty more speaking engagements, with healings and more. And yet Jesus prioritized this holy habit of abiding in God, God being enough for him and God being enough for us. It's sprinkled throughout all of his teachings. 
And the religious leaders of the day had completely missed this point. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, their idea of what it meant to abide in God was very different. There was a specific day of the week that a lot of us are familiar with that God set apart specifically for this abiding in him, being in his presence. It was the Sabbath day. And by the time Jesus came around, the Sabbath had become something completely different from what God intended for it to be. Sabbath simply means to rest. And so for God's chosen people, Friday evening to Saturday evening became a holy day of rest and worship. In fact, tied to the fourth commandment and the Ten Commandments, if, if you didn't follow it, uh, you could be executed for not, not keeping it. This was meant to be taken very seriously. But the point of keeping it had been missed. The Pharisees, for example, were debating things like, on the Sabbath, when we're supposed to rest and practice the presence of God, is it lawful for us to trap a fly under a cup? This may sound absurd, and that's because it is. Meanwhile, the normal person was exhausted by all the ritualistic expectation that people had piled on. There were some over 600 extra laws piled on to what God had actually told his people to do by this point. Um, and so, you know, people weren't, at quiet, weren't quieted in their souls and they weren't at rest in God's presence. Instead of resting in the knowledge that God was enough, most people were more concerned about whether themselves or their circumstances were enough. Practicing rest with the knowledge that God is enough is a holy habit. And it's something that God calls us into. It's something that Jesus models for us. It's a matter of mindfully keeping in perspective how God moves in our lives. And keeping the Sabbath was one of the ways that Jesus' enemies, interestingly enough, sought to trap him and undermine his ministry. There's a great example of that in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Actually, a second one right after that, too, that you can check out later. So in Matthew 12, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He's referring to the Old Testament. He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have con condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Mark has an additional point that Jesus makes in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Then Jesus says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Pharisees had twisted the point of Sabbath observance. Jesus points out the obviousness of their hypocrisy through the narrative of the Old Testament, the basic truths that are outlined there. Mainly, they had forgotten who the Sabbath was for, going so far as to saying that eating wasn't even permissible at that time. And this was never anything that God had communicated with this day of rest. Later on, you can read in Matthew chapter 12, they've, they would, 12, they would plot to kill Jesus as a result of him healing someone on the Sabbath. And that's how twisted it had become. They were so consumed with filling their time and space and the movement of their lives with what they believed they could attain from God that they had missed that the greatest gift God wants to share with us is his presence. After all, Jesus became God in the flesh and dwelt among us. And so for the Pharisees, the question, is God enough? The answer was no. Of course not. Not with their actions. They would say yes. 
And they were supposed to be the experts. After all, they had so much to do and so much to keep track of as they had cluttered their lives with hundreds of additional requirements for how they moved through life and what life should produce for them. And there's a danger that our own pace of life and our own schedules have too much in common with missing the point of God being enough and that Sabbath rest that he calls us into throughout Scripture. If we don't create space to abide in his presence to be reminded of who he is to the exclusion of all other things, we're in danger of getting it twisted too. I just want to share some statistics for you from the U.S. Bureau of Labor. Uh, In 2019, the average time spent per day by full-time working men and women. And so I have a list here for you so you can just kind of see what that looks like. And you could kind of go through and do the math if you want to, but that that makes up 24 hours, and this is the average amount of time that a full-time working man or woman spends per day through the week. So it's spread out over seven days. And you kind of kind of look through the schedule there and see, okay, some of that seems kind of reasonable. Some of that seems like, oh man, four hours on leisure and sports. I don't know how many of us feel like we really have that much time of just leisure time during our day, but it but exists. It exists there, but one of the ones that I want to point out is the .21 hours on organizational, civic, and religious activities. And this is very general, you know, a very general survey for, for most, most people. And so let's take that .21 hours, and, and let's say, let's just call it .25 so we can make the math easier. And so let's call that 15 minutes a day for organizational, civic, and religious activities. And so those are all three separate things. And so let's take a third of that and give that to religious activities. That gives us about five minutes a day on average that people are spending on religious activities. Even more generous than that, if we took the whole of that .21 and, and we multiplied that by seven days and put it all together, that will get you about a church service on Sunday and less than 10 days on less than 10 minutes in the next six days spent on religious activities. On top of this, the average adult consumes five times more information every day than their counterpart 50 years ago. We're getting inundated with information, not so much knowledge and understanding. I don't think we're processing it very well. Uh, Further, we spend as much as 12 hours a day in front of screens, whether it's TVs or our computer or phones. Um, and the research is suggesting that all our time on social media and on our screens has showing measurable causal differences in our mental health and not in a good way. That's a lot of time we have on our hands, on average, that we're not spending in the presence of God. And, and it shows. I mean, most people are not engaged with who God has called us to be. And Sabbath rest is more than just scheduling a day in our week to not doing anything. It's, it's not really about that at all. It's about being fully engaged within God's presence throughout our entire week. And when we do, when we move through life uh, like that, we live with a different rhythm and a different set of expectations. We're all being guided by something. We're all moving to the beat of some drum. And to ensure we're being moved and guided by God, we must be fully engaged with abiding in his presence. And so what does that look like? How, how do we practice that practically? There's a, a, a Carmelite monk 
that lived in the 17th century. His name was Brother Lawrence, and he was well known for the intimacy in his relationship with God that he expressed. There were letters that he wrote that were compiled into a book, and it's called, it's a classic Christian text, and it's called The Practice of the Presence of God. And here's one section from one of the letters that he wrote. Let us renounce, let us generously renounce for the love of him all that is not himself. Speaking of God here. He deserves infinitely more. Let us think of him perpetually. Let us put all our trust in him. I doubt not, but we shall soon find the effects of it in receiving the abundance of his grace with which we can do all things and without which we can do nothing but sin. We cannot escape the dangers which abound in life without the actual and continual help of God. Let us then pray to him for it continually. How can we pray to him without being with him? How can we be with him but in thinking of him often? And how can we often think of him but by a holy habit which we should form of it? You will tell me that I am always saying the same thing. It is true, for this is the best and easiest method I know, and as I use no other, I advise all the world to do it. We must know before we can love. In order to know God, we must often think of him, and when we come to love him, we shall then also think of him often, for our heart will be with our treasure. This is an argument which well deserves your consideration. A lot of times, I think it's easy to, when we think about practicing the presence of God or abiding in him, remaining and enduring in him, in our faith, we're thinking of activity. You know, what do I need to go and do, whether it's I need to show up at church, or I need to go to a small group, or I need to be praying, or I need to be fasting. You know, what, what is the thing that I need to do? I need to be serving, what, whatever it is. And so much of that, I think, comes from our, our idea of how we ought to fill our time. It's a cultural thing that we get caught up in as we grow up. You know, this, this flurry of activity is somehow uh, meaningful and purposeful in our lives. It's, it's what we're grown up to, what we grow up to believe. But don't confuse, and, and I do this, I do this, it's something I struggle with as well. Don't confuse a flurry of activity with the power of pausing within the presence of God and allowing him to be enough. And, and don't, don't, don't exchange one for the other. They, they can work in concert with each other. And so, yes, pray, fast, read scripture, be, be within God's presence that way, but also pause and, and be with him. Allow his presence to be enough in, in your life. It's what Jesus practiced regularly throughout his ministry. It's what he calls us to do as disciples. And from a very pragmatic, practical purpose, when I look at you know, the average time that we spend and all the things that we do throughout the, out our week, I'm just going to ask us to, to look at our schedules, look at our time, and say, hey, what is the time that we have set aside for being within the presence of God? What does that look like in our schedules? How much time, you know, do we have 10 minutes that we can eke out to spend with the creator of the universe, the saver of our souls, our Lord and King? You know, that, that, that kind of idea as we think about the implications of what it means to rest within God being enough. And do we even have time scheduled within our days to do that? Because the implications are, 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 are eternal. 
within how we think about life around us, how we impact the people who are around us, how we are changed, and how we view the circumstances that happen with us. I mean, there's so many ands out there for us to be distracted by. There's so many ands that the world is calling us to be distracted by, to live our lives, you know, based on. And yet, pausing and reflecting, being in a position to be able to hear that still, small, quiet voice within our lives, it reminds us that God is more than enough when his presence is enough for us. The biggest challenge for us is not letting our ands distract us from resting within that knowledge. You know, that word abide in God, it means to remain, but it also means to endure. And oftentimes that's the difference between us abiding in him when we practice his presence, when we remain in him versus not. The reason we spend time with God in his presence, it's not, it's not for his benefit, it's for ours. In him, we move and have our being. You know, the world around us, it's, it's a strain for us to be within it, to live within it, because we're called to a totally different life. We're called to a totally different rhythm of grace by Jesus. And so, so to pause, uh, to worship, and to be within the presence of God who is enough, um, God knows when enough is enough. And so do we live like, like he is? In, in our lives. And that's, that's one of the things that Jesus calls us to do as disciples of his, is to live in that manner and to live in that rhythm. Every week at Velocity, we, we celebrate that God gives us, through Jesus, the ability to live life in the way that he always intended it for, be, for, for us to, to live, for it to be. And I just want to remind you from our our verses from last week, the message paraphrase in Matthew chapter 11, as we prepare for a time of communion, that Jesus says this in verses 28 through 30. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. May we practice the rhythm of God's grace within his presence in our lives. Let's pray. God, thank you for there being a reason for us to pause and to reflect and to take space and time in our lives to focus on who you are and to be reminded of why you are enough. That even if our and is missing in our life right now, that that's, that's okay. That, that you are more than enough to, to sustain us and to lead us and to guide us through that. That you've already promised to provide everything that we need, that you've already fulfilled that through Jesus and the salvation that he brings and provides. God, we praise you for that. We honor you for that. We worship you for that. We glorify you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.